For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome into No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by one of the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner is here with me. Uh, Will is dealing with an illness right now, unable to make it in this week. He'll hopefully be back next week as we kick off our coverage of the 2022 NFL Draft as it relates to the Tennessee Titans. This week, we're going to be doing a little bit more general draft discussion, talking about uh, team needs, the uh, overall approach to the draft for the Titans. And then next week, we're going to start getting more hardcore into talking about prospects. We're going to spend the whole episode talking about wide receivers that make sense for the Titans because we all agree that that's a spot they have to upgrade. Uh, we're going to talk about tight ends. We're going to have our friend Justin Mellowan for his annual pre-draft full episode visit all of that coming up within the next few weeks but first we've got a little bit of uh, of previewing to do of looking ahead to do and that's what we're going to accomplish in this episode uh matthias i'll start with this we talked last week about how wild the nfl has become with these quarterback trades whereas for years Teams just kind of sat in place no matter what, and now guys are getting flipped constantly. But what has occurred to me, especially after the Tyreek Hill trade, is that really it's affecting all positions, no? Yeah, it's it seems like it. And even with the tight ends with Robert Woods um, and even Julio Jones last year, um, it's starting to seem like teams are less reliant on the draft or maybe they're a little st- scared or skeptical of some of these draft classes because they just are completely okay going all in um, and kind of mortgaging the future for positions that aren't even quarterbacks. Most of most of the the big trades that, that come with a lot of draft capital are still quarterbacks. But I mean, this Tyreek Hill one, like that is a lot of a lot of stuff that you're giving up. Um, but even I myself, I was like, you know what? Like, kind of makes sense the Dolphins still have a lot of picks um they need to to know if Tua is the guy they need to surround him with a lot of talent um they have a new offensive minded head coach um and if Tua can't make this work you know they're going to go get a quarterback next offseason um it's cool it's cool that these teams are, are that willing to uh to give a draft capital for established uh superstars so I'm all for this uh but we'll see if any of these trades, you know, end up not panning out for the team. With Tua not to get off into a Dolphins rabbit trail, what is there left to see? I don't understand how the jury can still be out on that. I, I, I convicted him as soon as he got done playing the Titans. Yeah, that that Titans Dolphins game was was rough. He he cannot complete like a normal ten yard pass. It he was throw, he it, couldn't throw a drag like a crosser. No, it was really bad. Like, uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know what there's left to see. I still think he has enough talent to, to be, uh, an average above average quarterback in the NFL. But I think his physical, a body, like his physical traits are, w- will just not lend, um, to that happening. So I don't know, but I mean, if anyone can make it work, it, it's someone from the Kyle Shanahan tree, um, who has gotten, has a lot of weapons at his disposal. That Dolphins offense has has a lot going for it in terms of in terms of firepower. So if the, if it doesn't happen now for two is it's never going to happen. 
We'll get to the Titans in a minute, but while we're on this quarterback topic, I want to bring up another one. Matthias, you you mentioned as we were talking before the show, the Baltimore Ravens strike a deal with John Harbaugh, their longtime head coach on an extension, but yet still no progress on the Lamar Jackson front. Shocking or no? Like, What do we think about that? It's weird. I'm kind of in the middle on this because Lamar Jackson, I mean, he's a, he's an MVP, right? He won the MVP a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, he looked like he was heading to superstardom. Uh, but these last couple of seasons, he's been a little erratic and, and very inconsistent, um, at least as a passer, as a runner, you know, he's electric. He, he's going to get churn yards on the ground and, and he's going to be a game changer on the ground. But as a passer, he's kind of lost a little bit of the feel that we saw during that MVP season. And I think the Ravens kind of see it like you would have extended him uh, probably a year ago, an offseason ago, um, if you really, you know, were sold on him being uh, that MVP type of quarterback for the rest of his career. And it's I think it speaks volumes that the that the Ravens haven't gotten it done with him yet. Um, maybe they will. Maybe, you know, they're just riding out that rookie contract and, and, and being smart about it. They're usually one of the more logical um, front offices, one of the more logical organizations from that standpoint. But you would assume that you just want to lock that quarterback in for as long as possible, as early as possible. So we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I would pay him. I think I would pay Lamar Jackson just because, you know, you don't really want to take a risk and, and maybe fall into quarterback purgatory again, but it's a tough decision for sure. I agree with the comment about him being very inconsistent as a passer. Who was it? Was it, I want to say it was the Colts that they played on a Sunday night or maybe the Steelers. I just remember there was a Sunday night game where he threw a boatload of interceptions and somehow they still won the game. <clears throat> Do you remember what I'm talking about? I don't know, but there's been there's been a couple of those games, like yeah, the, yeah. the playoff game against the Bills, and even you can look at the games that he's played against the Titans. Like the Titans have made him look like a pedestrian, average quarterback. But the thing is, he has that trump card of I could just take off on a 50 yard touchdown, which he did against the Titans, um, and that's very valuable. But you know, you have to win. Um, in more ways than one as a as a quarterback and he just is too inconsistent so I get it but I still would, would lock him up on a long-term contract because I know the the that the grass isn't always greener on the other side and and I think that goes back to to the conversation we were having last week of like you quarterbacks still don't grow on trees like nothing has really changed in that department it's just teams for whatever reason have become more aggressive in going after them and being willing to get rid of them right yeah correct um and it's gonna the price is gonna keep going up like it, it not only with contracts but also with the amount of draft capital you're gonna have to give up uh for these guys as we see it's just getting harder and harder um like i i know the Tannehill trade was was different because Tannehill was like on his way out of Miami, um, but there's no way you're getting uh, a potential starting quarterback uh, for a fourth round pick anymore, or even anything close to that. So, yeah, that's the way, that's the way we're heading, and it's cool that teams are willing to give up um, anything in order to get that franchise quarterback and get themselves in position um, to compete for a championship. But at the same time, like it's. It's tough because if it goes wrong, you're setting your your franchise up. You're setting your franchise back uh, for several seasons, and, and you might be mortgaging their entire future because you could have gotten uh, a potential Justin Herbert in the draft um, that you gave up, you know, first round pick for. So it's tough. It's a tough decision. At what point, though, and and this question extends beyond the quarterbacks. Like I saw a lot of people getting really excited. For the Chiefs about the Tyreek Hill thing, where it's like, oh man, they unloaded this veteran. Think of all the cap space and the draft picks. It's like, yeah, but they lost a really good player and like the the centerpiece of their offense. 
at a certain point, like it, it's not advantageous just to hoard draft picks. Like I saw a radio show in Nashville today had a conversation about could the Titans trade AJ Brown and do something similar, and it's like, no, you have to have a good receiver. That's, this isn't how the NFL works. You get good players, not a you don't hoard draft picks. I also I didn't think that the Chiefs, you know, got all that much. Like the first round pick that they got was late number twenty nine overall. The second round pick is okay, number fifty. And then you get two four, fourth round picks and a sixth round pick. Um I mean, I don't know. You like we talk so much about the draft being a complete crapshoot um and you have to have a really smart gm and even if you do like we don't know that these that these players are going to pan out look at what's happened with isaiah wilson des fitzpatrick um these guys that maybe they weren't great prospects but they weren't bad prospects um and we just don't know what's going to happen with them we don't know if they're going to be completely bought in um and, and this just goes to the fact the point that Anything can happen, and, and we really don't know whether these picks are going to be as valuable as they seem. Um, and I don't know. I mean, the Chiefs are going to have to hit on one of these receivers in this draft um, to, to you know, be in a good position after giving up a superstar receiver. Turning back to the Titans, well, really, this is still an NFL-centric topic, but it involves the Titans because Mike Vrabel's in the competition committee. The Titans submitted an overtime proposal. Uh, theirs involved forced going for two in overtime. That ended up getting rescinded. But the NFL did vote to, for the playoffs, change the overtime rules where now both teams are guaranteed a possession in overtime. And to be completely honest... I'm not sure how I feel about this because I feel like a majority of me leans toward the camp of just stop them. And at the same time, even if this rule is in place, nothing changes. The team who wins the coin toss still must be stopped because team that wins coin toss touchdown. Teams team did not win the coin toss touchdown. Guess what? If you didn't win the coin toss, you still have to stop them. Right? Like, I don't really see what changes here other than maybe you get two chances instead of one. Yeah, I I, I like the idea of, of both teams getting a chance. But it's also true that the team that wins the coin toss initially is going to end up getting two possessions if um uh if the other if they go down score on the first possession and then the second team goes down scores on, on their possession the team that won the corn toss is still getting the possession and they're getting more possessions so i mean i don't think anyone is ever going to be happy uh with what the overtime rules are um although i think what did they say something about the the two point conversion like if you go down if the first team that gets a position goes down scores and they get a two-point conversion, is the game over or no? I, if if they get a two on the first drive? Yeah. No, I, because I, it I, says both teams are guaranteed to possess the ball. That's the whole thing. Okay. So then I guess they could go for one, but then the second team... But if the second team goes down, uh, they get the touchdown, and they go for two, and they have more points, like... They win, right? Yeah, that's okay. Well, I well, mean, no, no. Repeat, repeat that. I might not have understood completely. So let's say, okay, the first team, the team that wins a coin toss, yeah, gets the first possession. They go down, they score, they kick an extra point. They're up yeah. seven. Mm-hmm. The second team that gets a possession, they go down, they score, they get six points, and then they go for two, and then yeah. they're up one. Yeah, I would think they would win, right? I think so. Like. That's pretty cool, I guess. Um, but I don't know. I just feel like no one's ever going to be happy with, with what the overtime rules are. Um, but me personally, I, I like giving both teams uh, a possession and a chance. Um, I agree you should be able to stop them. But at the same time, like offense is so like 
the, the offenses are what drives ratings in the NFL, and they the NFL wants offenses to be good. Um, plus, you add to that the momentum that some of these teams usually go into overtime with. Um, it's tough. So I, I like giving both teams a chance. Yeah. I, I go back and forth. It, whatever, I kind of say. People are going to complain still when their team loses or whatever. So I don't really know. I didn't like the Titans idea. I, I thought that was dumb, the whole forcing them to go for two, kind of like college beyond however many overtimes it is. I don't I don't like that. Yeah, that, that doesn't really do it for me. Then you go from a coin toss changing the game to whether you can get two yards on this one play with no second opportunity. Uh, I don't like that. I don't think... I don't think that would be good for the Titans either because we've gotten some pretty bad. Actually, top downing at the goal line, not awful uh, last season, but still prone to still prone to some disasters. Do they? Uh, I, I can't even think of a two point conversion the Titans got. I can't remember the last one they went for. Really, it's so easy though. You oh no, I can think of everywhere. one that they went for. Uh, in the playoff game. What was the play? I don't even remember. Remember? Honestly. They got a... The Bengals jumped, and then they had from the one-yard line. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did they run it up the middle? Is that what it was? No, they they did something. No, they did. They did. Derek was a yard short. Yeah, I well, mean, half if a you yard can't short get a yard with Derek Henry, I mean... <laughs> They they probably they probably bunched it up though, didn't they? I honestly can't remember this play. You know, it is funny how many people I've talked to since that playoff game whose takeaway was we should have given Foreman the ball more. Get the ball out of Derrick Henry's hands. He's useless. Well, he was pretty useless in that game. But I mean that was kind of ex- <laughs> I was kind of expected given that he missed like half the season and he was he was rusty. And we've seen that he usually needs like a game or two to, to really get going. But yeah, yeah. but I mean, it, it's Derrick Henry. <laughs> I don't, I don't really I know. care. I know that's that's the that's the argument it's we like, always have. Like, it, well, and we talked we talked about this at the end of the season. It's like how soon people forget. Like we were, you know, week six, you know, talking about how Derrick Henry is in the MVP conversation and he's one of the best ever and on a Hall of Fame track and. Oh, he's different than someone like Ezekiel Elliott because of how he can carry a team. And then you had folks on the verge of him coming back, like, "But you got to give Foreman the ball because you got to be fair. You got to make sure everybody gets their chance." And uh, yeah, I mean, showed you how much the Titans uh, liked Foreman so much that they let him go to the Panthers for two million dollars per year. So well, they, they had that money go. tied up in Jeff Swaim. So you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. You got to do what you got to do. Oh, man. Speaking of got to do what you got to do, our next conversation is going to be where the Titans still need to improve in the offseason, what what they still have to do to grow before next season kicks off. That's what we're going to be talking about up next on No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast. So I look at the Titans, and I think that there's still three positions where they need to get better. I talked about this on the, the Tuesday Titans toss-up. I'm going to write about it this week. But tight end, wide receiver, offensive line, I think all three of those spots are still problematic. And I want to break each of them down. Let's start with the offensive line, because I think uh, three of your five spots are, are pretty set in stone. Lawan at left tackle, Ben Jones at center, uh, Nate Davis at right guard. In fact, I know that those three spots are set in stone. And so then you're left with what happens at right tackle and what happens at left guard. And I think if the season started today, you would have Jamarco Jones at left guard and you would have uh, Dylan Radins at right tackle, which is interesting because this whole time I've thought Dylan Radins left guard but then Mike Vrabel at the owners' meeting said that Jamarco Jones is going to get the chance to compete at left guard, which leads me to believe maybe Dylan Radins at right tackle because no one else really makes sense there. Uh, either way, regardless of how that shakes out, 
I'm fine with Raiden's getting the chance because second-round draft pick. He played well in his one start last season because of injury. But Jamarco Jones at left guard after Roger Saffold? Like, I don't know. I don't really like that. Well, he said he'd get a chance to compete, so. Yeah, but with who? I, it's not, I don't, I guess with Aaron Brewer, um, Will's favorite player, who he mentions on every podcast. I was laughing. Um, I mentioned the idea of Aaron Brewer starting to someone the other day, and I was laughed at. Really? Not, not I mean, someone with the team, a fellow media member. I mean, he's done fine in, in a fill-in role. Like, I still think he's a backup caliber player who could, you know, start in a pinch, which he's shown. Um, but I agree, like, I, I would like some competition at that position. And I think, I still think that's a position that the Times can attack uh, in the draft. I, I really haven't taken a look at any of the free agents that, free agents that are still available um, at that position, but... I'm all on the I'm all aboard the Raidens at right tackle train. Just let him play. Like that's what you drafted him to do. Um, the one game that you know he had to start, even though Mike Vrabel was probably so upset about it, he played great. He played very well against one of the better defensive lines uh, in the NFL. Uh, I know it seems like the coaching staff just doesn't trust him, but put him out there. If he plays as bad as Quesaberry did last year, then you know. It is what it is, and maybe he he wasn't a good draft pick, but at least give him the chance uh, to prove himself because it's just I really don't think it could be all that worse. And I think Radons has um, a, a lot of talent. You don't draft him in the second round um, if he didn't have that talent. So I'm all aboard Radons at right tackle. I, I'm not thrilled with Jermarco Jones or Aaron Brewer at left guard, but I think that's a position that the Titans are, are going to address. Um, in the draft, like a lot of the players that they've visited with or lined up visits with uh, have been interior offensive linemen, I believe, um, and possibly some tackles. So uh, I think they're I don't think they're sold on Jamarco Jones or, or Aaron Brewer at left guard. So what do you do? Because I feel like fans are going to croak if they go first round offensive linemen again. I mean, I say again, they didn't last year but they did go second-round offensive linemen, and that would make it a third straight year, first or second round, with Panda, Dylan Radins, and mystery player this year, if that happens. I I don't know. I, 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 hate, I hate drafting offensive linemen in the first round. Like I've said this all along. Like Even when we drafted Luan, I was like, oh, my God, I hate taking a tackle in the, in the first round. Just because it's not sexy, it, it, you know, it's boring. But at a certain point, like it makes sense, and, and you need it. Um, I don't know if they go right tackle, the offensive tackle in this in the first round this year. I'm not going to love it just because they spent the second rounder on Raiden's last year, and they drafted him to be the right tackle. So I really wouldn't be a huge fan of that. But if they draft a dedicated left guard, like. Zion Johnson from Boston College, who uh, a lot of people like and, and seems to be a first-round talent, I'd be fine with it. Like, I'm okay with it. I, I know guard is is a devalued position, but in in the late first, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I just think receiver's such a big need. And if you – because they don't have a second-round pick I mean, that they wasted on Julio Jones – if you don't take a receiver in the first round, you're stuck until the end of the third round. And how'd that work out last year? They had to end up with Monty Rice because of that. Yeah, sometimes, uh, actually a lot of times, I forget that we don't have a second-round pick this year. Uh, that's happened to me several times, actually. And now that you mention it, yeah, I mean, you're right. E even though this seems to be a pretty um, deep receiver class, I mean, it's going to depend how the, how the board plays out, but I agree. Like, the the top receivers in this draft are really enticing. They're all kind of different. Like, Drake London is completely different to Jamison Williams uh, or John Mechie or even different to Jahan Dotson. So, I mean, the Titans are probably going to be able to, to pick um, and choose to kind of pick their poison um, – at number 26 with the receivers that hopefully will be available. But, you know, if none of, none of the receivers there uh, they're comfortable with, 
they're probably going to go with with an offensive lineman. I don't really see them going uh, with any other position. Tight end is the next position we're going to talk about. And I just see no logic of going there in the first round. I, I, I think if you... And, 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 <clears throat> I'm going to save that conversation for a, a little bit later in the show. But recent first-round tight ends have not fared well. Uh, Kyle Pitts is the exception, but you know he was a totally different prospect on another planet than any of these other guys. But I think about the first-round tight ends that have gone in the last few years. TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, OJ Howard, David Njoku. There's another one that I'm forgetting uh, from the Njoku year. Evan Ingram? Yes, Evan Ingram. Like none of, these, legend. none of these guys are worth first-round draft picks. No, it's weird, and most of them seem to be like only specialized players at this point. I think Hawkinson probably could turn into like a very, very good tight end, but you know, Detroit isn't really um, helping with that regard. But I agree; like the history is not on tight end in the first round side um, at all, and this draft class in particular, like, doesn't really. Streaming you like there is no first round talent in my opinion. Maybe like early second round talents, uh, maybe a couple of them, but it just would not make sense at all, really, for the Times to attack that with the number twenty six pick. And especially a- after signing Austin Hooper, I know it was only a one year deal, but Austin Hooper is like a number one tight end. He he just is given the landscape of the tight ends and, and what he's been able to do um, in his last few years with Atlanta and some of it uh, with Cleveland. Like he, he's a good number one tight end. Um, and given this draft class, I, I think the draft class is, is pretty deep at the position actually. So I think the Titans could just wait and attack it in the third or fourth round. Uh, and, and what's interesting too, off of the discussion about first-round tight ends not being successful, it seems like, on balance, the non-first-round tight ends have all been fairly successful, right? I mean, I can think of several. And I think, you know, considering what the Titans need at this spot, especially with Austin Hooper in the fold, as you mentioned, they don't need George Kittle to come in here. I mean, that'd be great. Don't get me wrong. They'd be all over that if they can find George Kittle in the third round. But someone that that comes to mind when I think of, okay, what type of player do they need in terms of someone who's already in the league? If the Titans can get out of a rookie tight end what the Steelers got out of Pat Fryermuth, two thumbs up for me. Yeah, I mean, they don't need a superstar, and and I don't think they're going to get one, but they just need someone who doesn't suck because the tight ends last year just absolutely sucked. Um, and I don't think, I don't think that's hyperbole really. Like they were really bad. They were probably the worst position group, uh, on the Titans and well, I mean, the receivers were pretty terrible, but yeah, no, the Titans were, were awful. And I agree. Like you look around the NFL, all of the, all of the good tight ends, almost all of them were not drafted in the first round. Like they were drafted in the second, third, fourth, even George Kittle was drafted in the fifth, although that was a little bit. Uh, of an anomaly, but even Fryerbooth, like you mentioned, like he was a second round pick. I liked him last year. Um, he didn't. I don't think he got to the Titans in the second round. But you don't need to spend a first round pick to get a good to great tight end uh, through the draft. So yeah, it, it just wouldn't make sense for the Titans to do so early. So third round, like, is that the ideal place for tight end? You think? I think so. so if, if some of the top guys fall uh, to them in the third round, but you could wait till the fourth, maybe even the fifth. I like there are a lot of decent tight ends um, in this draft class, and I think the Titans are going to be able to get a good one. Um, and I think they will because you know, uh, even though they gave Jeff, Jeff Swain that that contract, and even though they they gave Austin Hooper a contract, th- those were both one year deals. I think the Swain one was, was one year also. Um, so they definitely need someone that they can rely on for the future, and, and I think they will um, attack the position at some point. 
Wide receiver, of course, stands out as the third need for us to discuss. And I want to, with wide receiver, hop back to what we talked about a minute ago, which is if not in the first round, if not with your first draft pick, then win. Because waiting to the third round is not going to cut it. I'm, to elaborate on what I mentioned earlier about Monty Rice, let's recap what happened last year. I think a lot of us were convinced that the Titans were going first, right, received first round. I thought they were going to end up with Rashad Bateman. I didn't like Rashad Bateman, but I thought he was their type of guy. Titans, of course, take Caleb Farley, the corner in the first round. Elijah Moore from Ole Miss, another option that, that had been thrown around for them, but they end up going with the cornerback. We think, all right, round two comes up, got to be a wide receiver. This was before the Julio trade, too. And this was before Julio Jones even, like, really came available. And, and and that's the problem I have, too, with all these people. It's like, yes, but they knew Julio was coming. No, he didn't. Listen to John Robinson talk about the Julio trade. He talks about how that materialized, like, the week before. They might have thought, you know, there's a shot here, but the Julio Jones trade was not, like, in their back pocket at that point. It was probably a pipe dream that turned out to be reality. Turned out to be reality. I hit my mic there, which is why I got really quiet there. So, second round rolls around. I remember the three of us, me and Will, we were on Skype chatting, and we're like, okay, who's it going to be? And they take Dylan Radins, the tackle from, I can't even think of where he's from, tiny school. North Dakota State. Yeah, that's right, NDSU. And then the third round comes around, and we're, we're looking at our draft boards, and we're like, Diami Brown, who, who's it going to be? And then like all the good players just start falling off the board, and they end up taking Monty Rice. Who I, I think they like Monty Rice. I don't think they wanted to take Monty Rice in the middle of the third round. Wound up with Molden by the end of the third round, but then the fourth round comes up. They trade up very quickly. They had two fourth-round draft picks. They trade up very quickly to get Des Fitzpatrick, and it almost felt it felt desperate then, and in hindsight, it looked very desperate because Des Fitzpatrick, the first wide receiver ever drafted by John Robinson to not have two or more 1,000-yard seasons in college. In fact, he didn't have any. Uh, and he has quickly proven to not have been worth that pick. And my worry is... Because wide receiver is a huge need, and they talk so much about getting better around Ryan Tannehill. That if you don't get one in the first round or second round, if they happen to trade down, I don't know when it's coming. The guy who is going to come in and help. Who is the non-first round pick or non-second round pick John Robinson draftee at wide receiver? who has helped this team. Is there one? I don't think so. Wasn't Dez, wasn't Taewon Taylor. I mean, Tajay, he was very limited. Yeah, but yeah, that's a good one. He helped the team, for sure. But that's kind of, you know, that would be NWI 2.0. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I agree. And even Taewon, like, that was a third-round pick. They traded up for him, too. Um, and there was a lot of hype on him because he was so productive in college. Um, and it seemed like a lot of his traits would, would carry over. But I feel like I hope, I hope that John Robinson has kind of learned, um, his lesson with waiting on receiver, um, until the later rounds because just hasn't really worked. Like, I'm not going to say he got lucky with AJ Brown. I I think he was smart to wait and and realize that he might've been there. Um, in the second round, that worked out amazingly, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like they need to just draft a receiver in the first round or if they trade back um, to take one in the second round because it could fall apart quickly. And, and I know they have Robert Woods uh, on the team, but, you know, he's about to be 30. He's coming off an ACL. Um, it, it's still a possibility that he won't be the same player that he has been for the past couple of seasons. Um, so yeah, I, I really don't think they could wait around and I don't think they will. Like, I, I think they will attack the position. Uh, I'd be surprised, um, if they don't also, by the way, I, I, I took a look at last year's draft and Friermuth actually went two picks after 
the Titans pick. Uh, I didn't remember that. So that that's interesting. But I think we were all kind of realizing that the Titans didn't care too much about the tight end position. And then they were quickly proven wrong with how bad the tight ends were on the team last year. Um, and I think they're probably going to overcorrect this year with signing Hooper and probably drafting a tight end in the third, fourth or fifth round. You know, I feel like every offseason has become overcorrection for the Titans. And it's weird because they're so successful in the regular season. And, and a couple years ago, you know, they won playoff games. But, like, you know, last year was the pass rush had to be overcorrected. And this year it's the lack of weapons on offense. Or, more specifically, the lack of healthy, available weapons. Like, I don't know. We can, we can slander John Robinson because Will's not here today it does kind of seem like they they wait until the situation is a little bit dire um to to like address certain things but i mean i i feel like it's like that around the nfl um really but i'm glad they're at least proactive and they don't let like a bad situation just simmer and, and sink the team like last year with the defense they were just like, okay, this was absolutely awful. We're going to go out. We're going to change all of the personnel. We're going to bring in Jim Schwartz, and you know, we're just going to overhaul everything. And now this year, they're kind of doing the same with the offense, even though a lot of us believe that Todd Downing was the biggest issue. Um, we thought the same thing about Shane Bowen the year before, and the personnel changes were were huge in order to, to make that change happen. So... I'm glad John Robinson is at least proactive. He recognizes his mistakes, um, even though some of them, you know, hurt the team. But at least he's correcting them as quickly as possible, like the Julio thing. Um, just it didn't work out, and he wasn't going to let that, you know, simmer and possibly uh, worsen the team. And same thing with tight end, uh, with getting Hooper. Uh, so I, I'm at least thankful that we have – uh, a GM that, that that goes out there and actually tries to fix the mistakes. If Will were here, I would make the comments like, well, you know, a, a great thing to do is just to not have mistakes because then you don't have to worry about moving on <laughs> from the mistakes. He'd be fuming right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to put myself in Will's position and just <laughs> you defend John he'd be, Robinson. He'd be like, he'd be like, <sighs> Okay. <laughs> you can yeah, hear it now. 100%. Sure. Um, so all that being said, let's talk about the ideal draft strategy. Because before free agency, we talked about the ideal free agency strategy. And to an extent, they kind of followed it. We talked about tight end receiver. They went out and did just that. Spent a little bit of money on offensive line with, with uh, Jamarco Jones. But I want to talk about the ideal draft strategy. Not a particular player that we like. We'll get into that next week. Not, you know, in anything too specific. I just mean, generally speaking, when the Titans leave the draft, what will need to happen for us to say, yes, that worked, that was good? We're going to answer that question in 30 seconds. You're listening to No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast. So here's how I want to lay out this ideal draft strategy for the Titans. Let's chart out the rounds and see what we think they need to get in them. Currently, the Titans have a first-round draft pick, a third-round draft pick, two fourth-round draft picks, and I'm actually trying to confirm the rest. I thought I'd be able to know them off the top of my head. I actually can't remember uh, their day three stuff. Um, I think they have one fifth and two sixths. Am I right? Yeah, because they got a comp. Here's a great thing to do. I love the NFL draft Wikipedia pages. Aren't they fantastic? So that's going to allow us that's to what look I'm at on. this very easily. <laughs> yeah, so two fourth round picks, a fifth, two sixes, no seven. So to recap, a first, a third. Two-fourths, a fifth, and two-sixes. If we had to position-wise chart out where they go where, what's the ideal? Because for me, I'm not backing down from wide receiver round. 
or two if they trade down. No, I'm with you. I, I think ideally it's a receiver in the first round. Um, even not even talking about you know the prospects that that might be there. Just in general, I think um, getting an, a third, a, well, not elite, but like a third really good wide receiver um, is really important in today's NFL. Um, and given the the Titans roster, it just it makes a lot of sense to attack that as early as possible. And and so because again, we can't sit here and say. Because I think too many people start overthinking a conversation like this, and they're like, well, what if the guy that they want is not available? Well, sure, yeah. But in terms of what is ideal, like what would be the perfect scenario, I, I think it's wide receiver round one, of course, assuming that one they like is there. Uh, and and maybe that's overdrafting. Yeah. You know, thinking back to the Isaiah Wilson pick, Obviously, in hindsight, any of the other 255 players in that draft would have been better than Isaiah Wilson. But um, is Michael Pittman a first-round draft pick? No. But would Michael Pittman have been a lot better than Isaiah Wilson? Yeah. Uh, Would Michael Pittman have given them a receiver that if they were going into this season, we're probably not having this conversation right now? And instead, we're talking about a, a pretty darn good receiver trio of your your stud number one, A.J. Brown, and then two nice complementary pieces in Woods and Pittman. Or Woods and T. Higgins, if they had gone that route. Just, just take someone. You might have to overdraft. Just get someone good that you like. Yeah, uh, no, I'm totally with you. Um and I think I fall into this trap also, um, sometimes wanting the Titans to trade out, trade down, um, and, you know, pick up more picks. But given the roster that they have, they really don't have a lot of holes. And I don't know if it really makes a ton of sense to compile more picks when they're going to be competing mostly for backup spots. And if you could just get that blue chip receiver prospect at 26. I think you have to do it, and I hope that the Titans uh, feel the same way, even though I have a feeling that they're going to draft a guard. <laughs> so, But ideally, round. we said ideally. Yes, Th- receiver in the first round. Third round now, with two fourth-round draft picks coming up, I think we would agree that two of these three picks need to be offensive line tight end. What order, if we're assuming that the third-round pick is going to be better as a player than the two fourth-round picks for the purpose of this exercise, what order does that need to happen? I, I don't know. Um, I, but I, ha- I feel like third-round makes more sense for an offensive lineman. For whatever reason, I feel like the hit rates have been pretty good. Uh, particularly at interior offensive linemen. I don't have the evidence to back this up, but I'm just thinking about Nate Davis, how he's been such a great player. We got him in the third round um, at a a relatively small school, um, and it really panned out. And and I feel like that's kind of a sweet spot uh, for some of these guards that are really good, but they get, you know, brought down in the draft just because they're either from a small school or that the position is devalued. Um, so I, I feel like that's a good sweet spot, um, and especially with the Titans with two fourth round picks, I feel like you could get a, a tight end in, in the fourth round, um, especially given how many there are in this draft that are good, but they're not great, and, and they're going to fall because tight ends are kind of uh, devalued, just like guards are. Uh, hmm. Nate Davis was a third rounder, right? Yeah, I think he was like in the '80s, one of the '80s picks. I'm sure there's there's some article that has like the hit rates for for interior offensive linemen in the third and fourth round, but it's gonna take if, me a while to find. If we're assuming, like I said, that the third round pick player is gonna be better than the two fours, give me a guard in the third or a tackle. Yeah, right. Because like they could immediately slot in 
Um, and we know tight ends are usually like very slow to develop. Like there are not a lot of rookie tight ends that just come in and, and play right away and, and play well. Um, and then add to that that we already have Austin Hooper. The coaching staff loves Jeff Swain for whatever reason, and he's probably going to be um, the second tight end. And this rookie is probably not going to play all that much given the coaching staff's uh, insistence on not really playing rookies all that much, except for a few. For whatever reason, in every draft class, there's like one rookie that they're just like, okay, just get in there. Last year was Elijah Molden. Um, and I could see that. Being, <laughs> one, there's one allowed per year. It, 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 that's what, that's honestly what it seems like. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would bet money on a guard being the one who comes in and, and plays right away. So with that said, I, it makes more sense to take one of the third. And then obviously in the fourth, you would want to go tight end. I'm curious though, with the other fourth round pick, what's the ideal position? Do you double down on wide receiver? Yeah, yeah. I've been thinking about this. I think so if the value lines up. Like if there's a receiver that shouldn't be there or that you really like, I I would be I would be down for it. You can never have enough receivers. Like I, I know we run the ball a lot, but how many times over the past couple of seasons have we seen our wide receiver depth completely tested? Because receivers just can't seem to stay healthy. And like we've seen this with AJ Brown before. He's never really been able to finish like a full season without aches and pains and injuries nagging him. We talked about Robert Woods being a little bit older and coming off an ACL tear. And the Titans just have, they don't have depth. They do not have depth at the position. We could talk about NWI all we want and how he's a team player and whatever, but you can't rely on him to be a starting receiver in this league. Des Fitzpatrick looks like a bust. Racy McMath was a disaster when he was put on the field. And that's it. Like, there's no one else. Like, we could bring back Cameron Batson or Marcus Johnson or Chester Rogers, but those guys are, they're not good. They're just not good. And if you need them to play heavy snaps or even 50% of the snaps, like, it's going to hurt you. So I would be okay with doubling down at receiver, especially because. I just I don't know what other positions the Titans really uh, need to attack. Uh, maybe like a backup linebacker. Not really. Well, they I mean, have they have, three they, they have Long, Rice, and Cunningham. Yeah, that's why. Like I don't I I don't know. Like they really don't have holes on defense. Uh, they brought back Buster Screen also, so cornerback isn't really um, a need. Quarterback depth isn't really a need. Um, maybe I don't know edge. Safety, uh, yeah, yeah. A backup safety wouldn't be the worst. Wouldn't be the worst idea because um, you you probably only have one year left of Amani Hooker. Is Krukshank is he a free agent still? Yeah, yeah, he's still out there. I feel like they're probably going to bring it back. That, that, uh, I would I think mean, so too. Because I remember we talked about it. Like you know, if the price is low, and at this point in free agency, sitting here on right. March 29th, ninth, going to be that much money. Yeah. Um, the other position, I, I know it's, it's not really a need, but a defensive lineman wouldn't be the worst idea in the fourth or fifth round, but really. See, because here's the thing, though, that the Titans have proven that they find great UDFA yeah. D linemen. Yeah. Because think of their de- think of the yeah. defensive linemen. You have your top two, Simmons Autry, and then you have Tierra Tart, Naquan Jones, and Laurel Murchison. One of those was yeah. a five, and the other two were undrafted free agents. Yeah, you're you're right. Um, so now that I'm thinking about it, maybe Edge. Yeah, maybe Edge would be the next up on the list. I mean, the fourth who, Edge right now is Adaney, Ola Adaney. Yeah. And Rashad Weaver's coming off an injury, but he would probably be the third, um, the third Edge. Yeah. Yeah. I think edge would make sense. You can never have enough pass rushers. Edge sure. safety. I, I I would agree that those are the defensive positions that, if you do work on them, or those are the ones I think that would need the work. Because um, I think corner, you obviously have your starters in stone, hopefully for multiple years, assuming that Caleb Barley checks out. Um, and then you have you know Buster Screen, Chris Jackson, as depth. 
I, I like the idea of doubling down at wide receiver. I really do. Yeah. Because the in idea the fourth, of yeah. the idea of NWI as a four slash five <laughs> with a rookie is uh enticing. I think he'd be a good one. Yeah. And 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 I've said for a while the Titans' goal for this offseason should be to cut Des Fitzpatrick. And that sounds you know brutal and it sounds mean, but what I mean by that is they should have such good receiver depth that it is no question that he is on the outside looking in. Because that dude was... <laughs> mm. I mean, he, I mean he, he caused multiple Tannehill interceptions. He got yelled at in practice more than once. That didn't really happen, at least from the NFL practices I've watched, unless you hit somebody. Like, you know, with your hand, not like on a play. Yeah, I I mean, I don't remember hearing a single positive thing about Des Fitzpatrick last season. And like the least would be like, oh, he's a good teammate, you know, he gets out there, he practices hard. <laughs> no, not even that. We couldn't even <laughs> get that out of it. Oh man. I have well, I actually have a a, a question. Would you be willing to not early, but would you be willing to draft um, a running back who maybe could be a good pass catcher and be was, a backup to Henry? I was just thinking about that because when you're bringing up bad bad reports about Dez, I started to think about Darrington Evans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I know we brought Hilliard back, but he's bounced around. You know, it's possible that he was kind of a flash in the pan last year. Um, Jordan Wilkins is okay, but he's really like a third string guy. I wouldn't be opposed to a, a Darrington Evans do over if, if there's that type of player out there. Because the reason that, you know, we'll never know if Darrington Evans was going to be any good because he was never on the field. Um, I mean, I remember John Robinson got asked about him at, uh, at Combine media appearance. And he, he was, the question was like, you know, what do you think about Darrington Evans and and what he's able to uh, to do for you guys? And the answer was, in its entirety, he was hurt last year and didn't play for us. So ringing endorsement—it's <laughs> so <laughs> bad. Um, no, but you're right. I mean, like in the very few moments that he played, like he flashed, like he could be a, it was, a it was all right. to the There team. were some moments where you liked it. He was good against Detroit. Once they had kicked their rear so bad, they took Henry out. Yeah. I think we were just, it was after the Dion Lewis thing. And we were like, anything will be better than this. And uh, yeah, he was at least a little bit better um, in, in the short stints that he had, but you know, I just couldn't stay healthy. <laughs> Yeah. Hmm. So, late round, you know, really, who cares? It's just sort of, as Will always says, high upside, guys. I will say this. I'm so tired of hearing about special teams. This guy on special teams. Because none of them ever are. (laughs) Who is the guy they drafted who actually wound up being a blue-chip special teams player? Crookshank? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he was drafted as like a safety cornerback kind of yeah, hybrid player. He was a fifth like, round they, pick. Was he fifth? I thought I thought he was fourth, but like, I think he might be correct. When I think of who are their best special teams players, Nick Westbrook Aquino is the first one to come to my mind. And he was he was an undrafted player. All these guys they've drafted that they try to convince us were good special teamers, like Brady Breeze and Racy McMath, um, and even the ones they sign. Like, the special teams always struggle, and none of these guys ever, you're like, man, you know, they always show up on special teams, and it never happens. Yeah, you're right. Now that I'm thinking about it, actually, it really hasn't been the case. They've either gotten decent special teams players through free agency guys who are like specialized um, in that or it's UDFA players or or players they pick up from other teams uh, practice squad like Chris Milton, you know, those types of players. Jubnar, who we signed, uh, he wasn't that great, but, you know, 
he was a special teams quote unquote ace. <laughs> um, so yeah, really, they haven't had much success drafting special teams guys and them actually panning out. Like you said, Brady Breeze, that that didn't work out. I think Racy McMath was was okay as a special teams guy, uh, but man, he just gives you nothing as a receiver. Yeah, the uh, maybe they can find a kickoff returner, punt returner. I mean, kickoff return don't really matter. Just you know, get it to the twenty-five. But find a punt returner who can get a first down, because that's what they talk about. I, I mean, I've asked players, and and Rabel's talked about it. You know, we want to get a first down on every punt return, ten yards. Get the offense ten yards closer. That never happens. Who? Who is even? I think Hilliard would be the kick returner, probably. Um, who would be the punt returner right now on the roster? Caleb Farley. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like I, I genuinely don't know. And unfortunately, my eye, uh, my eye went to Cameron Batson because he's stuck. <laughs> yeah, but he's just so bad at it that really can't, really can't go back down. Oh, uh, AJ, put AJ back there. He'll get you ten yards. I feel like Robert Woods has done it before, but he's too. That sounds too. right. I feel like he's done kicks. You can look, certainly look and see. Um, but I, I think we've mapped out pretty well what has to happen in the draft, and I'm excited for next week to start getting into specific names uh, because then we can start to think about where guys might be available, um, specific types of receivers. You know, fast, big, all all that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about next week. Have you? Are you looking up Robert Woods? No, I I have not. Um, I could though while I'm at it, but I do feel like he's done it before. I know Cooper Cup has done it before, uh, for sure, several times. And the Cowboys use uh, CD Lamb on punt returns as well. But I'm always kind of like skeptical about using high-profile players um, as punt returners. Oh, I don't yeah, know why I have the risk like they're going to get is just so lopsided. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, agreed. Also, like, late in the draft, I, we really didn't talk too much about it. We talked a little bit about, like, special teams guys and not really loving drafting those, but... In the sixth round, like I'm taking a swing at some of these offensive linemen from like smaller schools, or maybe not not that athletic offensive linemen from big schools who fall in the draft. Like I feel like some of them will pan out, and you probably have a better shot of them panning out than, like you said, special teams guys who just only do one specific thing. So that's how I would uh, use some of those late round picks. Are you ready for stop the nonsense? Yeah, of course. Let's go. What do you got? So um, I'm sure you mentioned it earlier uh, about AJ Brown uh, in these trade rumors. It's uh, it's hilarious to me because it's not only AJ Brown. Uh, I, I'm trying to find <laughs> I'm trying to find the tweet. Uh, it was the Jets that they wanted to trade for. They were eyeing AJ Brown, Tebow Samuel, and it was. One other guy, one other like big. T- oh, here we go. AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, and Debo Samuel. The Jets are keeping an, an eye on them in potential trade talks. And I thought that was hilarious because, first of all, when did AJ Brown and Debo Samuel go on the trade block? First of all, um, and why are the Jets like the the team that that would be able to pull this off? And why would they want to go to the Jets? Um, and I just, I just found that funny. I, I just don't really understand. The report was from like this New York Jets ESPN reporter who who does a good job, but these guys aren't aren't available for trade. DK Metcalf, maybe, although I haven't really seen too many like concrete rumors that you know he's forcing his way out. But Debo Samuel. The Niners are never going to give up Debo Samuel. The Titans absolutely love A.J. Brown. He's not available for trade. I know, like, they're going to have contract, big contract extensions coming up, but that doesn't just automatically mean that, you know, they're going to be available for trade. Yeah. Um, and I find that, I found that really kind of dumb. 
So mine, and this started really before we recorded last week, but it, it, it the saga continued after last week into the end of the week, and and now I, you know, the AJ Brown Marcus Mariota leadership tweet and the fallout from that. I'm going to start with this. I agree that the statement. Marcus Mariota is the best leader I've ever been around. Does, from a logical syntax standpoint, imply that Marcus Mariota is a better leader than Ryan Tannehill in the opinion of A.J. Brown? I mean, if, if you took any sort of like logic class or, or reasoning class, if you did math in college, right, you know, if-then statements, if Ryan, Tan- if Marcus Mariota is the best leader, then Ryan Tannehill is not the best leader, right? Sure, you can make that statement, and I agree with it. And there were some people, you know, obviously the people who were like, this is a dig at Ryan Tannehill. That was obviously ridiculousness. But then there was another group of people that said, hey, look, I, I, I'm not saying it's a dig at Tannehill. But think of the logic of the statement and what a okay. I like AJ Brown. He's a nice guy. He's a smart guy. But I think you guys are giving him way too much credit for the amount of thought that he puts into his tweets. Because let it be known that AJ Brown is king tweet deleter. When that guy tweets and you see an AJ Brown tweet, you better screenshot it because it might not be there for very long. You remember when he dog cussed? Paul Kaharski on Twitter, that lasted about 15 minutes. When he tweeted his little thing about the Titans didn't get juju, we dodged a bullet, that was up there for hardly one. A.J. Brown, as a principal, does not think very hard about what he tweets. And so I am inclined to believe that when he said, Marcus Mariota is the greatest leader I've ever been around in response to the Falcons signing Mariota, it was hyperbole. In the sense that I eat a hamburger when I'm really hungry and I say, oh man, this is the greatest hamburger I've ever had. When I make that comment, have I gone through some sort of quantitative analysis of every hamburger I've ever eaten and compared them side by side and then had it peer reviewed? No. It's just an expression. It's a figure of speech. And I guarantee you that that is what happened with A.J. Brown. Not that that was some result of analytical research about the leadership abilities of Ryan Tannehill as opposed to his predecessor as Titans starting quarterback. Ridiculous. It's it's like me uh, saying goat whenever a backup quarterback does something. I just tweeted out in the moment, and I'm like half joking, but I mean, I believe A.J. Brown that Mariota might have been the best leader that he's ever been around because everyone loves Marcus Mariota. He's one of the best personalities, one of the nicest guys uh, in the NFL period. So that wouldn't surprise me at all. But like you said, AJ Brown's just out here tweeting anything. And then he ends up deleting everything because people are like, oh, no, he said this, he said this, he meant that. And he's just like, all right, whatever. I'm just going to delete it and go on with my life. So... Yeah, we really don't have to put too much thought into everything that this guy does and everything he tweets, um, especially when half his tweets are like incredibly cryptic um, and possibly like song lyrics. <laughs> we never really know <laughs> what he's talking about. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, we don't have to do like an expose every time um, he says something mildly controversial. Well, and to comment on your stop the nonsense, you know. Perhaps he's just on his way out the door and taking some parting shots at his quarterback. Yeah, of course. I mean, everyone hates Tannehill. That's, uh, that's been known for a while, actually. It's the reason he uh, threw three interceptions in the, in the playoffs. There's turmoil in the locker room. <laughs> you know, by the way, uh, to quickly return to a serious conversation, we didn't mention quarterback at all when we were talking about ideal draft strategy. Um, here's my opinion on that quickly. And, I, and then I want to hear yours. If there's a quarterback they really like, and they take him in the first round, and we get to the press conference afterwards, and they say, whether it's Matt Corral or someone else, and they say, look, 
We really like this guy. We think he's great and has all the tools. Ryan's our guy for right now, but look out one day. This this is the man. Uh, 100% I am for that. If you love a quarterback, take the quarterback you love, always. Um, But beyond the first round, I don't think it makes any sense. I've gotten to where mid-round quarterbacks are just are a, a worse hit rate significantly than the early ones. So uh, that's how I feel about that. What about you? I'm 100% in agreement with you. I think if they really feel sold uh, on one of these guys in the first round, go for it. I don't think this is going to be a Jordan Love situation just because Brian Tannehill is not Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it wouldn't be the same. And if they really feel comfortable with, you know, any of these guys that fall, particularly Desmond Ritter, if he's there at 26, like I'm going to be, I'm going to be banging the drum to possibly take him because I think the upside uh, could be there. It might not work out, but if the Titans feel comfortable um, in a certain quarterback, then yeah, you got to do it. Would be interesting. It would be, uh, of course, John Robinson's first first round draft quarterback. Only ones he's taken are Luke Falk and Cole McDonald, neither of whom made the roster. So we'll see what happens. I'm excited. I'm excited to have Will back next week and start talking about wide receiver prospects. That's what we will be doing one week from today. Can't wait. Until then, for Matthias, I am Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.